us on a regular basis from the truth of God and and these moments encountering this rhythm within the the calendar of the nation of Israel uh, replanted them on the things that were most significant. So I would suggest this morning that we live in a, a pretty strange world. Things have been, uh, as we've talked about numerous times, fairly uh, upended in a lot of different ways. Uh, relationships are, are encountering some of the most incredible friction that maybe in our lifetime we can imagine. Live in a world where people are in a place where they're worried about losing their jobs or even their careers. We find ourselves where marriages are encountering an incredible amount of strife. Uh, challenges within the context of uh, relationships and schools. We, we navigated just a few weeks ago an encounter with a, a gun at school in Mansfield and the shooting that took place. And so we, we, we've come to anticipate in our day and age and, and really in our life and the rhythm of our life that, that things can't be trusted. We're, we're waiting about what's going to happen next and what sort of trauma are we going to have to navigate. Stress is at all-time high, in my opinion. I would say that the mental health crisis is as great as it's ever been. And I'd like to tell you this morning Why? It sounds humorous, right, for me to even suggest that. Like, that's, that's a pretty bold statement. Let me tell you why we have so many problems in our world and why our lives are so difficult. But that's exactly what I want to suggest to you this morning, is why in every pocket, in every aspect, and nook and cranny of our hearts and in our lives are things so hard. You ready? The answer to end all answers. What you've been waiting for. You're so grateful that you're at church today. It's because... The God we worship is too small. Now, before you burn me as a heretic, let me explain. The God we worship is too small. Not the God of the Bible who is vast and immeasurable and who is so much greater than we could ever imagine. That God's not too small. But the one we worship is. Meaning that what happens often in the context of our experience with the amazing, vast, big God of the universe is that suffering, stress, mental health, challenges narrow our view of God. And so what we end up worshiping at times is God the handyman, <laughs> right? God of the, the quick fix, who's able to sort of come in and we just ask him, you know, I've got a leak over here. There's some issues with my life over here. I have some trauma that I'm dealing with now here. And I'd like for you to come in and, and deal with my feelings in such a way where in the process I can know that you're working, but the outcome of how I know you're working is I feel better. And so ultimately what ends up happening is our feelings become ultimately God, and God is just the, the real God of the Bible, is just an avenue to help us work through how we're feeling. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that the Lord doesn't want to hear from us on a regular basis, but I think what happens so often is that we have tunnel vision in how we see the truth of who God really is, and, and we're limited, or we limit 
the actual work of what God promises he's already doing. So the smallness of God to just be encountering us in specific circumstances that are affecting all of how we feel about life as a whole, I'd like to suggest to you this morning that what Psalm 113 is going to do if we truly press into the truth of what it says is it's going to push against the fringes of our hearts. It's going to expand the view of who God truly is. And so what we're asking and what we've been praying and pleading for all week is that the bigness of God would settle into our hearts rather than the bigness of our problems settle in to how we view God. You see the challenge? Like we're really up against competing against the very notions that we assume we feel and see and appropriately deal with the things around us with utter clarity. When in reality, the Bible is very clear about so many things, not the least of which God is all-powerful, omniscient. The Psalm 113 is going to move us to a place of what transcendence means, that he stands above all of human, all of creation as a whole, and is working and operating and not confined to the challenges and struggles that any aspect of the universe faces, that he's bigger than anything. There's one theologian that says it this way. His name is Alex Moiter. He says that the wrong inference to understand the transcendence of God is that God's too big to care. The right inference is that he's too great to fail. Psalm 113 is about the reality of two aspects of the character and the nature of God that are fully present at all times throughout all of human history. Theologians call it transcendence and imminence. And so I'm going to be focusing on the vastness of God. And Mark is going to be diving into how God encounters us in the real day-to-day lives. But what I want us to think about in the context of Psalm 113 is how the God we worship, we've confined to a box and made him a bit too small. There's a bigness that's associated with God that weighs on every circumstance in such a way that what begins to be ignited inside of our lives is this sense of how amazing God is and how fleeting our emotions and how vast and challenging the world around us is. But even with the greatness of the challenges around us, they pale in comparison to the greatness of the God that we love. And the greatness of the God that loves us. And so part of it is elevating our focus away from just what we see around us and allowing who God is to affect what we see. I'd like to suggest to you this morning that the issue is an issue of awe. Where our awe or reverence or the the view in which we find ourselves developing a sense of the awesomeness of God that then intrudes into just even the patterns and the framework and how we live our lives so that what we see is not just the challenges, 
What we end up finding is an anticipation and an excitement of how the bigness of our challenges meet the greatness of God and how the greatness of God then uses those challenges to allow the people of God to see the work of God in brand new, unique, and amazing ways. I'd like to suggest to you this morning that there is not a moment, not a a millisecond in your life where the fullness of God's character and work is not working fully in each of those in every single moment. He's not pulled back. He's not asking us to figure it out. He's not saying, oh, I've said enough and done enough for you. You're on your own. The transcendence of God speaks to the reality that the God of the universe is at work in innumerable ways, drawing us to a place of praise the result being one of worship that's how psalm 113 starts off the the whole the whole section of this book talks about the halal which means praise and he starts off with the very word itself that defines this passage of scripture he bookends it with hallelujah right praise yahweh so you start off with praising you finish with praising because you've seen god for who he is and the only response is praise Let's look together at Psalm 113. So a little bit of the backdrop again. They used to sing these songs as part of a regularity in the significant moments of the calendar that they celebrated the work of God. The primary one, they would start by singing when they were preparing for Passover, Psalm 113. Remember, Passover, right? The people of God are enslaved. We think about their lives just on a day-to-day basis. Beaten, overworked, malnourished, and completely and totally in control of some secular pagan leader that decides to do whatever he wants with the Hebrews of the time. They are slaves they've cried out to god for mercy for years and decades the prayers of god's people have felt that they've just gone into this wasteland and never reached the throne room of heaven but god was listening consistently listening and so you have these Plagues that would come in as God was working to free the people from their enslavement. Passover is this image of, of these individuals who are suffering with catastrophic human suffering. Their entire experience is one of feeling defeated and demoralized all the time. And what happens? This God communicates to the people, hey, I'm going to send an angel of death. And the only way that you'll be able to be preserved from the angel of death is if you kill a pure lamb and you put the blood on the doorpost. That's the only way the angel of death is going to know who to kill in terms of the firstborn and who not to kill. And so the image that they're consistently reminded of is that the 
only way for them to secure life in and of itself is obedience to the work of God and realizing that it's the blood that secures for them preservation and none of their work itself. They can't say, well, I've done all of these things and so you should see my work. They're solely resting on the blood that was spilled on their behalf. It is an image and a foreshadowing of the cross if there ever was one. That the reminder of what these people needed on a regular basis in times of incredible human suffering and uncertainty, even with leadership that was in place, right? Pharaoh was one of the most difficult and terrible leaders for the Hebrew people. And yet, in the midst of that very thing, the only place where rescue and salvation could exist was by the blood of the lamb. That was their source of hope. It's what elicited praise. I'd like to suggest to you that that hasn't changed. The blood of the lamb, the death of Jesus Christ is the only hope for the rescue of any one of us. And the, the, the places, the reason why we can praise is because of, of what God has done and his transcendence and authority and ability. He operates bigger than anything else in this world. And I think the writer of Psalm 113 would want to remind believers in this century, in 2021, of the very same thing. Look with me, if you will, Psalm 113. It says, praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising to, of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is high above all the nations and his glory above the heavens. Who is like our God who is seated on high, who looks down, who looks far down from the heavens and the earth. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and with princes of his people. He makes the barren woman a home and makes her the joyous mother, joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. Here's what I think the psalmist is driving us as believers to is that often our view of God is so narrow and it's narrowed because of the challenges that we face. We give voice to the stresses and the stresses are innumerable. We know the challenges and the weight that we carry on a regular basis. And the goal is to direct our attention, not to say those things don't matter by any stretch. He's saying that in the midst of life itself, as hard as it might be, there are always reasons to praise. There are always reasons to praise. Why? Not because things are easy in this life, but because the bigness of God is bigger than the big things of life. And he drives us as worshipers to that point. And so here's what I want you to consider this morning is that every single moment from eternity past to eternity future, that God alone is worthy of praise. When I say worthy of praise, what I mean is that worthy of our attention, that he's there's value in focusing on him, that there is not a single millisecond in your life and in my life that our hearts can't be directed towards praise. 
towards submitting our lives to a joyous eruption of the bigness of God beyond the bigness of our circumstances. This is really a war for our affections. I think often our affections, our feelings, how we think about life tend to drown out the bigness of God. When was the last time as you looked back on your life where you were riveted by how gracious God has been to you? In seasons of challenge and tumultuousness and struggle and uncertainty, how frequently are you and I drawn back to the places of being reminded of God's consistent and powerful provision above and beyond all of the things that we faced? I think often we try and go back there, but it takes effort. Where's the effort? Why does it seem so difficult? Because the challenges that we face and the feelings we feel seem more immediate. And so time is a thief. It steals the reminders that we so consistently need of how amazing God has been to us. How vast and big his character is. How there is nothing in this universe that can confine or contain the God who created it. Not who's on office, not what happens in the Supreme Court, not what struggles we face with business or job, not challenges that we've navigated for decades within context of families, not whether or not there's things and uncertainty in schools, not any of those things trump the vastness and the bigness of God himself. And so what does that mean? It doesn't mean that those things don't matter. What it means is that we as believers in Jesus Christ need to come to the realization that often the issue that we face is an awe problem. We at times, as Paul David Tripp would say, has lost our awe of God. We find ourselves struggling with being reminded of how awesome God truly is. Here's what Paul David Tripp says. Every awesome thing in creation is designed to point you to the one who alone is worthy of capturing and controlling the awe of your searching and hungry heart. There is not one of us that sit here this morning or that exist in all of humanity that doesn't find or feel awe about something. We are aware of the bignesses that surround us or that bignesses, that's not even a word, but I'm making stuff up so you can just be like, that's so cool, he's so smart. No, but the, the hugeness of who God is, but often what happens is that our hearts are given to worship because we feel awe of the things around us. We've felt awe with COVID, We've been like, man, this is huge. How often have we said, well, it's a new normal, right? Everything's changed because COVID's so big and so powerful, it's 
changed our experience. And I think in part that that's true, but you know what it hasn't changed? The bigness of God. So we, we remind ourselves of the goodness of God and we don't diminish the world around us or the suffering or the challenges that exist. But what we say is the God that I worship is bigger than anything I face. Not because I'm convinced that that's the case, but because his word, word tells me that it's true. He begins, praise the Lord, praise the servants of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forevermore. So just as a reminder, every single moment from eternity past to eternity future, God is worthy of praise. There is not one single millisecond of your life that God doesn't direct us to praising his power, his goodness, and his grace towards us. There's a story that was shared uh, about Theodore Roosevelt, um, who was one of these explorers. I've been listening to a book about uh, some of his um, uh, discovering and work as, as he traveled around the Amazon after he didn't get reelected for a, a third term. And, uh, and w- William Beebe was a, a worldwide explorer that used to travel with him. And, and here's what they used to do when they were together. They would sit at night and the two men would look at the vastness of the stars on the porch at, at Theodore's house. And as they gazed at all of the distant starlight and all of the smudges, here's what they say. This is the spiral galaxy of Andromeda. It's as large as the Milky Way as they looked far into the distance in the sky. It's one of a hundred million galaxies. It is 750,000 light years away. It consists of 100 billion suns and each one is larger than our sun. After that thought sunk in, Roosevelt would flash his toothy grin as this book says, it says, now I think we're small enough. Let's go to bed. <laughs> I wonder how often if we would give ourselves the opportunity to reflect on how amazingly big God is throughout all of the Old and even in the New Testament, God is compelling believers to be reminded of how God is not just creator and fashioner of the universe and how he stands outside of time, is not constrained by any human endeavor, but that he's working beyond everything that we can think or feel. And then he even tells us, right, Romans 8, that, that even all creation has been groaning with the pains of childbirth until now. And that, that, this sense that, that, that we might even know what to pray, but the Spirit is praying on our behalf, the will of God, that you have all of the resources of the limitless characteristics of God involved in every aspect of your life. And I'm not going to take, take Mark's thunder because that's imminence, but there, all of the bigness of God is at work in the most unique and amazing ways. And there is not a place where he is withholding his goodness from you. He's not limited his power. The goal is to say, are we in awe of God? Are we drawn to this place? Who sits on the throne of directing our feelings and desires? Is it the challenges and the God of this world that just put enormous pressure on us, wondering if everything's gonna work out okay? Or is it the God of the universe who knows that he's directing everything to work out according to his perfect plan? The call of the people of God to understand his goodness and transcendence is that he's too great to fail. There's not a moment 
where he's limited by the challenges of the world, but he's operating in just the most amazing and challenging and transformative of ways to draw his people to value him above all things. Here's what he says in verses um, three and uh, following. He says, from the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. He uses that as bookends, basically to give us a window of that every waking moment, your hearts can be elicited towards praise. So let me just ask you to consider. Pick one thing, just one, and allow it to digest inside your heart this truth. Pick the hardest thing you're facing and I'm facing right now. Challenge in relationship, friction and pressure in the world, issues at work, issues with life. And then ask yourself, and I'll ask myself, we'll make a deal this morning. How is God calling me to praise because of this? Somehow, in some way, this very situation is God at work eliciting praise. How can I see the vastness and bigness of God and truly confess praise to God for the greatest challenge that I'm facing here and now? And we develop that rhythm. We say to ourselves, God, there's a goodness that I'm missing. There's a challenge that I'm facing where I'm not seeing what you're doing or how big you are. And so I need you to show me. But I want to praise you because I know that you will show me. You care enough about me to hear the cries of your people's heart that you are at work. And all I need to do is surrender to the fullness of your goodness and realize that there are reasons to praise in the greatest challenging moments. And so he moves us in verse three to that very reality. Verse four, excuse me. said, the Lord is high above the nations and his glory above the heavens. Who is like our God who is seated on high, who looks far down on the heavens and the earth? You ever ask yourself that question? (laughs) Who is like our God? It's a rhetorical question, right? The answer is no one. And we, I think we could say that inside our own hearts and say, okay, I realize that there's no one that has the prominence in our lives that is like the God of the universe. There's nothing to compare the God of the universe with. No one or nothing deserves the place of praise or deserves the place of worship or deserves the place of attention. Save God alone. David, Paul David Tripp says, every sin problem at its core is an awe problem. Somehow, in some way, the bigness of the challenge we face has trumped the bigness of the God who has called us to himself. And so part of Psalm 113 is flip-flopping that. There is nothing, he tells us, that rises above God. As simple terms as we can get, there is nothing bigger than God. You guys remember, I mean, I don't know how many, anybody done VBS? Like maybe in the last decade or so, right? Remember that song they used to do? Our God is so big, so strong and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. The mountains are his. The rivers are his. The stars are his handiwork too. My God is so big, so strong and so mighty. 
There's nothing my God cannot do. It's a great children's song. The question for you is, do you believe it? Or have you left it on the altar of just sheer children's music? Is it true? Church, help me out. Is it true? All right. So if our God is so big and there's nothing that he cannot do and he owns the heavens and the stars and the mountains and he cares so deeply about your life and is working in just the most profound ways, then the voice of the suffering and the challenge that you feel is not bigger than the God who created you. And yet... The issue is we have given awe to the circumstances around us more than we've given awe to God. Wonder what it would look like to just look and see how big and amazing God is. And one of the challenges that these people face is that he even puts it in the context of the nations. The Lord is high above all the nations. And we know a bit of Israel's history and God brings in all of these foreign nations because the nation of Israel has, has been defiant and disobedient to the will of God. So he raises up secular nations and brings them in to, to help call them back to repentance. And then they repent and, and they worship God again. And then what happens? Things are going great. And they're like, well, we don't need God anymore. And so more nations come in and there's this constant tumultuousness in this nation. And what he's telling the people of God is that what we need to realize is that God is bigger than all the nations. He's bigger than the Oval Office. He's bigger than the places that we find ourselves most consumed and worried about. And so the goal is to say, how much of our affections are focused on the joy and the work and the bigness and the vastness of God himself? The question really is, is there anything bigger in your life than God? And nobody wants to say, well, I don't know, you know, like teenagers who are getting ready to ask each other on a date the, the answer is yes we've, we've placed things we've valued things we've thought about things that have had so much more control over our awe over our affections and god himself and so this isn't a guilt-inducing sermon of saying hey just get better would you just do it right come on get your act together you should be doing better by that's not the, the goal is to say Let's, as we think about praising God, we're, we're doing it from an authentic reality that life is hard. And there's an anticipation and an expectation that God is doing work. And he's doing tremendous work beyond what we can think or feel. And so what we're, we're doing is saying, Lord, I'm, 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 I'm wanting to believe in your bigness. And my faith is failing. But that's why Passover is such a unique thing. Because it wasn't about the intensity of their faith that allowed their salvation. It was the object of their faith. It wasn't how fervently they believed. Or infervently, if that's even a word. I'm just making stuff up as we go along. It, either way, it, it wasn't about the ability or the intensity of their faith. It was what they had their faith in. If you place your faith in Jesus Christ, the bigness of God and his work in your life elicits praise no matter what the circumstances. Let me close with this. I'd like you to consider over this next week, like I said, to take one of the cha- most challenging things that you're facing whether it's resentment or bitterness from past pain or whether it's current worries about financial fears or whether it's incredible pressure and friction in the context of relationships or whether it's worries about how this world is going to hell in a handbasket 
or whether you're worried about all of the things that are taking place in our society, whatever it might be, and you look at that thing, and then you look at the bigness of God, we ask ourselves, God, how are you calling me to praise you in this circumstance? Because that's the result of where he calls us as people. When we see the bigness of God, we respond in praise. When we see the bigness of God, we respond in praise. When we see the bigness of God, we respond in praise. Let me pray for us.